What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham, Nicole Yang. We're going to get into a couple things today. The biggest thing is going to be a discussion revolving around Bradley Beal and Zach Levine and what happens if neither of those guys ends up wanting to go to the Celtics, what that means for the Celtics' plans moving forward. But first, the Celtics had some news today. They finalized their coaching staff, Ime Udoka's coaching staff, team policy. They never give out any details of contracts or anything like that, but they did finalize the names. We have Will Hardy, Damon Stoudemire, Ben Sullivan, Joe Mazzula, Aaron Miles, and Tony Dobbins. And brief rundown on those guys, if anybody doesn't kind of know a lot about them. Will Hardy worked for the Spurs with Ime Udoka. was the first guy Udoka grabbed when he was made the Celtics coach, obviously somebody who was a priority for him. Damon Stoudemire, obviously the longtime NBA player. He was Pacific's head coach in the WAC. We have Ben Sullivan, who another pop guy who worked extensively with Giannis in Milwaukee. Joe Mazzulla and Tony Dobbins, obviously both coached for the Celtics last season. Both guys who have very good relationships with players. Tony Dobbins notably worked really extensively with Jalen Brown, has a great relationship with Jalen and Jalen credits him for a lot of his improvements. And then the final guy is Aaron Miles, who was the head coach of the Santa Cruz Warriors in the G League. So just a list of names there who are going to be on Ime Udoka's bench. What what are some of your guys' takeaways? I think the first thing is there's lots of Oregon ties, which is kind of funny. But each guy, it seems like, has a particular like area where they have a really good reputation. And a lot of these guys are player development guys. Like Miles has a really good reputation in Golden State of being great in player development. Same with Sullivan in Milwaukee. And I think guys like Stoudemire, who have the former player, like, you know, really solid track record as a player and a good college track record as a coach. I think that's positive. But yeah, I mean, starting at the top of this assistant staff, it seems like it all starts with Will Hardy. And he has been a hot commodity in terms of assistant coaches around the league for quite a while. Worked with Team USA for the last FIBA World Cup and at the Olympics, I think he is a great guy to have next to Udoka at the top of the bench. So I think it's a good staff. And I'm happy that Tony Dobbins is sticking around because he's really worked his tail off on the staff under Brad Stevens for the last couple of years. And I also think like there's just a little bit more variety on this coaching staff compared to Brad Stevens's coaching staff, both from just like a pure diversity standpoint, but also from just like an experience standpoint. Like I feel like this is no knock against Brad Stevens's staff. Like I think Jay Laranega, Jerome Allen easily got new jobs in the NBA where top assistants, very well liked by the players, very effective. Udoka staff, you have somebody that has like legit NBA experience. Like Stoudemire was in the league for 13 years. You have somebody that was with the Santa Cruz Warriors, like Golden State's G League affiliate. You have people that obviously, I mean, like most basketball coaches have played at the college level, but Will Hardy went to Williams, like a Nezcat juggernaut. (laughs) I am biased, but. I was going to say, Will had to shout out that. (laughs) No, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, I like the balance here. I think it's exciting. Ime Udoka has built a really interesting staff. I mean, there's so much player development on this crew that I I think is really going to help. I think there's so much NBA experience. These are guys who have experience playing at multiple levels, coaching in multiple different ways at multiple different levels. I I agree with you both. I think this is a a really good staff with a lot of very intriguing talent from a coaching perspective. To Nicole's point about it being a more diverse staff, I think it's important just to quickly note uh, Mark Spears from The Undefeated published story today, uh, which was 
was an interview with Jalen Brown about a variety of things. But one, it touched on the fact that Jalen, you know, met with ownership, met with the front office that he thought it was important for the Celtics to hire a black head coach. And basically, he just went through why he feels more black head coaches, more black representation in coaching is important. And I thought that was pretty interesting. So obviously, for anyone listening, if you haven't read it, it's on the undefeated from Mark Spears. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was a good interview. And this season, there's going to be 13 black head coaches, which is one short of the all time high from the 2012-2013 season. So I feel like they've made a lot of progress. Like unlike the NFL, the NBA has actually made a lot of progress in that regard. Definitely. So we're always trying to shout out our friends at the Shades On Beer Company. They're the makers of the Geno Time Stout. We recently tried, at least my friends and I tried, Juice Fountain 3, Buffalo Check, Geno Time Stout, a bunch of their other products. So you can check any of their products out in the Boston area in Rhode Island. Their beer garden and tasting room is down in West Kingston. So definitely check that out if you're in Rhode Island or you live in Rhode Island, you're a Celtics fan. Check out all the Shades On Beer Company products. Absolutely. So today we are going to get into a topic that I'm not sure Celtics fans are going to be super pumped about, but I think it's worth touching on. What if the Celtics completely strike out in their pursuit? We've talked all offseason about how Celtics are are building, you know, not necessarily cap space to sign somebody, but certainly flexibility and, and the ability to go ahead and, you know, try to trade, sign and trade for a player next offseason. Those targets could include somebody like Bradley Beal, somebody like Zach Levine. And I think it's worth touching on because we've spent the whole summer talking about that. What happens if neither of those guys guys wants to play in Boston. Like, I mean, let's just throw it out there open-ended at first. What do we think the possibilities are that that happens? Like, what are some of the reasons that maybe they wouldn't want to? And do we think that that's a possibility? I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I regretted saying that as soon as I said it. Zach Levine just signed with Clutch and Clutch clients and the Celtics just have never really led to much success. There's always been a little bit of tension there. Maybe Brad Stevens being the GM or president of basketball operations ameliorates that, or maybe it's turning over of a new leaf. I would say the clutch acquisition of Zach Levine is like a major hit. I think it's a major hit, but also if they do swing and miss, your concern long-term certainly opens up even more because it's not a great free agent class. There's just not a lot of depth to it whatsoever. So say you swing and miss on those guys, who, who are you going at? You going after Robert Covington, Miles Bridges? I don't, I don't know who else is going to be out there. So it's a tough class to potentially swing and miss. Sometimes you have a class that has a great top tier of guys and then the rest of it is pretty well-rounded. This is not looking like it's going to be one of those. So I think you, you run a, the risk of having a pretty ugly backup plan, I guess, if you miss on Levine and or Beal. Well, I think if they miss, it turns to like they must trade for someone or they must hope for a disgruntled star. Because if you just look through some of the names, Gary Harris, Ricky Rubio, Andre Godala, Thad Young, Patrick Beverly, Joe Ingles, Torian Prince, Yusuf Nurkic, like I could keep going, but it's just it's so ugly. Tristan Thompson. (laughs) <laughs> Thomas Bryant Chris well, now, we're just, now yeah. we're just trying to make Chris Grenham mad those last two maybe it's not that bad of a class <laughs> <laughs> no I think and, and I think to that point though especially if you can even look to the next year and I think one of the big free agents that year is Chris Middleton I don't think he's going anywhere 
it would be a pretty major problem. I think Nicole's right. I think if they strike out, like this feels like, you know, when we talked about this a bunch, we said like, oh man, we thought the Celtics were going to have to make a big trade and we're going to have to blow things up, but they seem to be putting themselves in a position to, you know, potentially keep Jalen and potentially keep Tatum and potentially still bring in another superstar. But if they don't bring in that superstar this off season, it does feel like that is maybe when they start to have to pivot. They have to start having some really tough conversations about who is part of the core, about who, you know, could be potentially available, about what direction they want to go the last thing they want literally today you know Ben Simmons according to Adrian Wojnarowski you know one of the Sixers young stars who obviously hasn't been like a great fit told like the Sixers like I'm not coming to camp well I guess he's told them this weeks ago but it's coming out today that he told them like I'm not coming to camp I will not be a part of your team ever again that's just such a tough look for the Sixers it puts the Sixers in such a bad situation you can't afford that if you're Boston you just simply cannot so this is a I think this is a really pivotal offseason largely for that reason it's so pivotal because you need to put you need to put better people around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and again like Nicole said if you can't via free agency then you're gonna probably have to go out and make a trade because you can't have a situation for the next couple years where Marcus Smart is potentially the third option next to Jason Tatum like that's not gonna work and if you're trying to get him to stay beyond when's his player option 25 26 something like that you need to make him a setup here for the time being where he wants to stick around he needs to have any sort of appeal with this roster and right now there isn't a whole lot of appeal to it but there is you know there's potential that's why going and getting extra pieces is so important, I think, because you want to make it appealing for a guy like Jason Tatum to stick around. And like when Tom was speaking, like you were saying in generalities, but I mean, then you also risk losing Jalen Brown. Yeah. If they strike out on both Bradley Beal and Zach Levine to actually acquire a player of that caliber, they're going to have to give up something now. Maybe there's some sort of player you can fetch with just a package of Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, Al Horford, young player, draft pick, some some combination of those. But like Jalen Brown is obviously your strongest asset. The problem is, is I think the reason why you would feel so optimistic about the Celtics future if Bradley Beal or Zach Levine worked out, it's because you'd have those three. And that's what really makes him a contender. One for one, Jalen for another star, are the Celtics in the same spot, or are they actually that much more of a contender? It, it gets tricky. It does get tricky. I think the thing about, and now I will preface this by saying, I like if <laughs> the Celtics have to trade Jalen Brown, that is a brutal hit. We talk about it all the time. He's an awesome player. I think the thing about Jalen is that if you're trading Jalen, you're probably getting a much better player. And Bradley Beal is a superstar. But if you're trading Jalen, you're probably getting a better player than Bradley Beal, right? Like then you're looking at, you know, your James Hardens, you know, you are looking at the next disgruntled superstar. And again, not to start throwing out names, but like maybe Jokic doesn't win a title in Denver. You know, maybe like it's, it's stuff like that that you can start talking about with a player of Jalen's caliber not that Jalen is as good as Jokic but that the asset of Jalen Brown is like that type of asset where he would be the centerpiece of a deal for a superstar there's a reason that when people were talking about Damian Lillard potentially wanting to leave that the Celtics were brought up because Damian Lillard is a top eight nine player in the NBA and the Celtics have the one asset that is actually worth that guy I will say too, I'm curious what you guys think, if there are any names, not necessarily guys who are coming up who the Celtics could sign, but guys who might be disgruntled, who might be interested in playing with the Celtics. Like the name that comes to mind for me, 
I don't trust the Utah Jazz. I think the name that comes to mind if they don't start winning championships and if guys start getting a little antsy is Donovan Mitchell. You know there's a pre, uh, you know, a previous relationship with Jalen Brown. You know that that's a, a guy that played Team USA with Jalen and, and Tatum, and and he is that star. You know, he's really good. Donovan Mitchell is a superstar. He's a guy that I think, in, in the worst case scenario where the Celtics don't get either of these guys, maybe they could pivot to something like that. But you know, that's a tall order too. That requires a lot of things to go right. Certainly, more things would have to go right for them to acquire Donovan Mitchell than for them to acquire somebody like Bradley Beal. I feel. He's also got a good relationship with Jalen and Jason. He's from New England already. So maybe yeah. there's some appeal coming back toward where he started playing. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot that could work there. The other two names that I, well, one of the names that I always feel like comes up in this conversation is Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not really sure what the timeline would look like on that, but he's someone who I feel like it's always brought up could maybe become disgruntled down the line and end up forcing a trade out of Minnesota, something like that. Pascal Siakam is another name that pops up just because it doesn't seem like things are going all that smoothly in Toronto. Who knows what it looks like right now? At least last season, there was a, they were in Tampa and it was a total mess there for the entire year, but he's another name that kind of comes to mind there. I mean, Towns is always kind of a, I don't know, people always like to talk about his defense and everything. And, and yeah, he hasn't been great in Minnesota. And I would just, as always, point to the fact that we're talking about a you know seven-footer who averaged, uh, let's see, 20 25, uh, almost 11, and almost five last season, uh, five being the assists, and who shot 39% from the three-point line on 6.3 attempts per game. So pretty good player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think those are those guys are all reasonable names. The reason that we talked about Levine and the reason that we talked about especially Beal all summer is because the pathway to those guys coming is so much easier. It's so much simpler. It's such an Occam's razor thing. Basically, the way I look at it is like the Towns, the Mitchell, you know, the the Pascal Siakam, honestly, the Jeremy Grant, you know, I think he's another guy that obviously the Celtics have a ton of interest in. You know, those guys are all long, long shots. Whereas I think if you look at Levine and especially Beal, you're talking about, you know, maybe, you know, you're talking about a 28 foot three point attempt instead of a, you know, 47 foot three-point attempt just to kind of add to the group another name tom that you have brought up in the past that it seems like there's a good chance he gets traded by the end of the season something like that is colin sexton and again that's a much more interesting fit but i do think that there's a chance he's on the move by the end of this year and you know front offices can get a pretty good indication sometimes by mid-season what the offseason is going to look like and you know the Celtics might have a better idea public or not if they really have a shot at Levine if they really have a shot at Bradley Beal if they know by mid-season hey we might not have as good of a chance at these guys as we once thought what do you think about a guy like Sexton who I think could certainly be on the market I know the I think the Knicks and the Heat were mentioned as a couple teams a few months back who are going to aggressively pursue him during the season. Celtics haven't been mentioned, but who knows? I'm just saying if they get an indication that some of the stars are out of the question, maybe a guy like Sexton could come onto their radar a little bit. But so that presents the interesting dilemma that they probably will have at the trade deadline of do we pursue a guy like Colin Sexton or whoever becomes available at that time, or do we hold out and cross our fingers and wait for Beal or Levine? I don't know. It's tough because if you strike out at both opportunities, then you put yourself in a position where you're going to be scrambling. 
No, and I, I think there's two things that affect that, Nicole. I think that number one is the back channels, like we were saying, like, do they think that, and especially, I think one of the interesting back channels is what you, you were talking about with Levine. Can Brad Stevens establish a better relationship with Clutch than Danny Ainge did? Like, is that enough? And I think by the trade deadline, they might kind of be able to know that. I, I think that's possible. So I think the number one is the back channels. And the number two, I think, and this one's simpler, just how good are the Celtics, right? Like how good is Jason Tatum? If Jason Tatum, you know, we talked about it on the last episode, if he does kind of elevate himself to that level now, and the Celtics are, are winning right now because Jason Tatum is good, are great. I mean, obviously he's good. If he's, if, you know, if he's in that top seven, eight, nine range, yeah, I mean, maybe you go out and you get Colin Sexton because you think you can win a title next year as opposed to like, you know, two years from now or whatever it is. Maybe you think you can win a title with Jason Tatum as like the 1-1-A one, one or, or whatever it might be. Or if Jalen Brown takes another leap, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, if the Celtics are kind of in that where we think they'll be in kind of that, you know, five, six, seven range in a good Eastern conference, like a good team in a good conference, but not a contender. Yeah. Then the back channel conversation becomes really important. Yes. There are no guarantees, but I would like to think that Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal are talking about this. Like there's no way that they aren't. Yeah. So I think they will know whether Bradley Beal is realistic. I really think they will at that point at the trade deadline, like, right. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Brad Stevens is showing up at, Hickory Hills Golf Course in St. Louis today, desperately looking for Bradley Beal. Is Brad is Brad here? Is Brad, Brad here? just wanted to be a GM so he could get back to his recruiting roots. He's just yeah. he's just stalking these guys. Like that's the benefit of the relationship is I think they will know. Like it's yeah. not like they're trying to pursue like some random like high pro like Kevin Durant per se. Like right. it's not like that all over again. So to your point about it not being like Kevin Durant, I, I think the other thing is that the Celtics have one big advantage, which is they have a clear pathway to adding one star and being a contender. So they can sell all these guys like, hey, Zach, like, do you want to be on a contender? Look at these other two guys we have. You are the third piece that we need. And you would not only would you make us a contender, you are like you would be a crucial part of it. Like you could come here and help us win a championship. And be, and you can say to everyone, like the, the narrative around you can be, I was the one who put the Celtics over the top. That I think is a pretty big selling point. But I think like, this is a more, I don't want to overblow it, but I do think that this is a really pivotal off season in terms of acquiring that talent, because I feel like the NBA is shifting to a direction where there's just no opportunities to do that Kevin Durant style of recruiting anymore. I feel like those big names never really go on a true free agent spree anymore, where it's up in the air, like where they're going to sign or who they're going to be convinced by. There's no more of that, like Paul Pierce sending out a rocket ship and people like locking, who was it? Locking DeAndre Jordan Jordan in his house. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. Like I feel like. I know, which is too bad because the content was electric. Oh, it was good. Oh, for sure. But like you mentioned Chris Middleton, like there's just no way that he's going to hit the open market. I feel like I just don't think guys do that anymore. Like everybody picks up their player option or signs the contract with their existing team and just knows if things go awry, I can force myself out with a trade. If the Celtics are trying to pursue free agents, it puts them in a really tricky spot. And like, I think the class of players available speaks to that and that just the options are so limited. It's not like if they miss out this year, oh, well, in 2023, they'll be able to get someone. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore. So that's why I think they actually have an opportunity here to sign two possibilities outright. They've got to try, because I just don't think those opportunities will come up in the future anymore, based on how, like, the NBA seems to be trending, if that makes sense. 
It does. And to that point, I think it's really hard for teams to build super teams, like for the team to plan to build a super team. Usually it's got, it's got to be the players. And that's one advantage the Celtics have. They have two guys under contract long-term. They can say to like, not even they, those players are like, Hey, the Celtics aren't going to let me go anytime soon. If you want to do a super team, let's do it here because I am kind of stuck. I'm like, again, that doesn't usually happen. That doesn't happen in very many places. So that's why I agree with you 100%. It's so pivotal because, you know, next season, Jalen's only got two years left. The, you know, the year after Tatum's only got two years left. They have to do it now while they kind of have these guys a little bit under contract and a little bit stuck. It's so it's so important. And I think that if Brad Steve, this is purely speculative because we've seen very little of Brad as a GM to this point, but he's been aggressive. Like he did a lot with very few resources this offseason. I think he did improve a roster, which was a difficult task if you were looking at the setup they had at the beginning yeah. of the offseason. So I'm hoping that for the Celtics sake, Brad can kind of continue that aggressive, proactive mentality and kind of go out and try to get something done where I think in years past the Celtics had been a little bit more reactive than proactive. So if Brad can keep up the aggressive style, I think this is the offseason to do it for sure. Agreed. And that's why like Bradley Beal is the leading option because he hits on like both of those notes, like a player yeah. made super team because obviously he's friends with Jason Tatum and like an actual like good player, like a superstar. If they strike out on that, that just is really bad because I feel like that's the most likely, like if you can't get Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum to play together on a good team with Jalen Brown, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, a hundred percent. At that point, you have to start wondering like, well, okay, like how, how do you, like you have to start restructuring how you think about building a contender in Boston. Yeah. You're not LA, you're not New York. You're going to have to figure some things out. Because everything you said is true in terms of using Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as selling points to try and convince people to play. But the closer we get to the end of their contract, the more people are going to be trying to poach them just as well. 100% agreed. And that's why it's important that they do something of note. Otherwise, they're going to be like, why should I stay? And that's why I think something of note needs to be something very noteworthy. Like to the point that I'm like, I'm not 100%. You know, I mentioned Jeremy Grant. I'm not sure Jeremy Grant is like that level. I think the cutoff is your Beals and your Levines and your Donovan Mitchells and your Carl Anthony Towns. Like it's got to be, you need that third star star, not your third. Like, I mean, Jeremy Grant is an excellent role player. The top tier of role players. Um, maybe other people disagree with me, but to me, yeah, I think it's got to be that that third genuine star if you're trying to thread this needle. 100%. All right, guys. Well, I think we can leave it there. As always, we appreciate everybody who listens, who everybody's left us a, a rating or, or a review. If you uh, if you do, let us know. We would definitely appreciate it. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, uh, you know where to find us. And we will talk to you all again later this week.